If you are listening to this after September 28th, 2013, you missed us at EmilyCon. To that uh, Emily Carr Institute down on Granville Island in Vancouver, BC. I love Vancouver, BC. Oh, we had so much fun at that convention. If you're listening to this after September 28th, uh, <laughs> when we uh, had our live show between 2 and 3.30. Yes, we will have had a great time. With uh, Chris Woods, artist extraordinaire. And special guest star. Who showed up. With all those uh, Emily Carr Institute art nerds going bonkers for him, like the Beatles in 1963. Yeah, because it's free. Wait, and wait. fun. Yeah. Free? Yep. A free caustic soda show. Free caustic soda show. Why would anybody not go? If they felt bad, they could bring some pocket change and put it in our donation can. <gasps> That'd be cool. Oh, we should make a caustic soda bottle that has, that is, has a mouth wide enough for you to put coins in. <laughs> there you go. And then for a live show that's not free, what? You, you can come see us at VCon. What a ripoff. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, that would be worth it, too. October the 5th. At the Delta Vancouver Airport Hotel in Richmond, B.C. Mm-hmm. Of course, VCon is a full three-day convention with lots of crazy, nerdy stuff going on. October 4th through 6th, but we're recording our live show on the 5th. Now, you say this costs money, but the podcast itself doesn't. It's just that's getting true. into VCon, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So go to VCon and pay for it because it's awesome, and then come see us because we're free. And our guests will be John Kovalik and Mer Lafferty. John Kovalik from Dork Tower? Yeah, and Mer Lafferty from Podcasts of Old. I should be writing. Yes. Uh, the theme for the con is actually pirates, so it should be podcasts of yore. Mm-hmm. Podcasts of yar. <laughs> Ancient spirits of evil transform this decayed form to mumra. Dang, he's well-preserved. I'm Torrin Atkinson. Iron Maiden's Eddie isn't the only metal mummy. I'm Kevin Leeson. Ask, gash, or smash, your organs are coming with me. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. Persian mumia means asphalt from mum wax. Uh, means asphalt? Uh, yeah. How long has asphalt been around? Early 14th century, I guess. Okay. Oh, the well, the Greek asphaltos meant asphalt slash bitumen. So, oh, so it's an actual. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's a thing. So from so not asphalt. When we think asphalt, the thing you use to cover the roads is some kind of. Yep. I don't even know like what it is to be. I don't even know what asphalt is. It's That's, a paving composition. This is me exposing my ignorance. <laughs> it's that black stuff that they roll over with uh, those little miniature um, uh, rolling pins on motors. Miniature, miniature rolling pins. <laughs> Isn't it big rolling pins? <laughs> it's the opposite. I meant miniature. You need, you bull- need... I was going to say bulldozer. But I'm like, That's not right. <laughs> so I started with miniature already. But... You, mean, you meant maxature. Max. That's right. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, the sense of embalmed body is first recorded in English in the 1610s. And of course, necrophobia is the fear of death or dead things. The definition of mummy is A, 
a body embalmed or treated for burial with preservatives in the manner of the ancient Egyptians. Uh-huh. Or B, a body unusually well preserved. Ah. All right, pop quiz for you guys. I oh, okay. love it. Pop right me some it. quiz. Joe, mm. what is Natron? Uh, Natron is the transformer that turns into a tree. Mm. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's wrong. Oh, oh, boo. It is a naturally occurring mixture of sodium carbonate, de- decahydrate, a kind of soda ash. Okay. I like right. my answer better. Mm-hmm. Natron, uh, begin <laughs> to absorb chlorophyll. <laughs> Sometimes found in saline lake beds, which arose in arid environments, natron was used in ancient times in ceramic pastes as a cleansing agent and embalming. So, you know, pump it into a dead body's veins kind of thing? It's uh, less pumping and more putting on top of. Ah, I see. Yeah. Kevin, what is adipocere? Could you spell that for me? I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go spelling bee on you here. A D I P O C E R E, adipocere. Adipocere, also known as corpse wax, grave wax, or mortuary wax. Uh, stuff you put on a dead person's mustache. <laughs> for all those for all those hipster mummies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was a dried-out undead ghoul before it was cool. <laughs> Joe, what do you think adipocere is? Man, and I should know the word adipose because it was on Doctor Who, and now I can't remember what it means. Uh, adipose means backwards, doesn't it? Or does it mean fat? Oh, man. Mm. That is the way that you look uh, physically when you're uh, summing up lots of numbers. Oh, the, I'm, I'm standing in my adipose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a... Wax-like organic substance formed by the anaerobic bacterial hydrolysis of fat in tissue, Uh such as body fat in corpses. In its formation, putrefaction is replaced by a permanent firm cast of fatty tissues, internal organs, and the face. So they take all that stuff out so that it doesn't rot. Uh, It's just a natural uh, substance formed by this uh, process. Okay. All right. Why did ancient Egyptian embalmers remove most of the internal organs but leave the heart, Joe? Uh, because the totally uh, heart is where the home is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> if you're a heart par- heartworm, yes. Yes. <laughs> Their motto, heart is where the home is. <laughs> oh, they hang up those little, like, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Needle point. I, Needle point. Exactly. I, didn't they put the other things in a jar somewhere else? No, I love it. I know it. Kay. I know the answer All right, to this. Kevin. Because they needed it in the afterlife, because that's how they judged it. They put their hearts on the scale to see if they got into the, uh, you know, in the afterlife. You what? thought you knew it, but you didn't. That's know not it. it. Nope. They left the heart in place because uh, thinking at the time was that the heart was the seat of a person's intelligence and wisdom. They thought mm-hmm. it was their brain, basically. Uh huh. So they needed that for whatever reason. Because you pull somebody's heart out and they stop talking. You needed. You needed. <laughs> so it in obviously, the that's where their brain is. Yeah, the, but only a quarter of mummies had their hearts left in place. The removal of the heart seems to coincide with the transition period when the middle class gained access to mummification. So getting to keep the heart may have had may have become a status symbol after that point. Ah, so you had to be like nobility to keep your heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about getting mummified when I die, but I'm gonna spring for the keep the heart process because yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know I want to look my best in the afterlife. It's an option. Well, I guess I guess that this just goes to show you what their afterlife is at because you don't you need your heart but you don't need your colon right you know <laughs> no toilets in heaven so there's a bonus there mm-hmm. well think about you're wrapped in toilet paper so you're fine. <laughs> form and functionality yeah, thing exactly right kevin name an animal that was mummified by the ancient egyptians cats joe dog 
Oh, yes. Well, you read about both. Oh. Dogs, I have a little information. Okay. In the dog catacombs in Saqqara, eight million animal mummies were found, likely supplied by ancient puppy mills. Most of the mummies are dogs, and many were just hours old when taken for mummification. Puppy mummies. Have a little patience. You have to let them age. Like a fine wine. I don't know. It would be the cutest mummy ever, though. That's true. In the catacombs, piles of mummy remains just over a meter high filled the side tunnels. Jackals, foxes, and mongooses are also found in the dog catacombs. So, and some cats. So do we know why? Well, animal cults were common in Egypt throughout its history. Animal mummies focused on one specific animal in which the spirit of the god would reside and be worshipped as such for the duration of the animal's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Upon its death, it was mummified, and another one chosen for its special markings would take its place. Also, come on. You're going to the afterlife. You want a whole bunch of puppies. To yeah, come exactly. You want true. puppies. You want an army of puppies. To, <laughs> maybe <laughs> To roll around Maybe with. this was their plan to stop the mummies from animating and coming out and wreaking havoc. They'll have all these puppies to play with, and they'll be too yeah. happy to come kill people. Give me another animal that was uh, mummified by the ancient Egyptians, Kevin. Uh, crocodiles. Yes. Whoa! They embalmed thousands of crocodiles and buried them in mass graves as offerings to the crocodile god Sobek. Yeah, to not eat you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Probably cured with natron or salt and wrapped. They do not show signs of evisceration. Some crocodile burials not only included juvenile and adult crocodiles, but their eggs containing recognizable fetuses, in some instances over 50. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess you got to practice, right? Like <laughs> like you want to learn to be a mummifier. Uh-huh. And an you got to be good. You want to be an embalmer, you want to be the guy uh-huh. who mummifies royalty. Uh-huh. You're not just going to your your first mummification is not going to be just some a prince. So prince, right? Yeah. You don't want to like screw up. And, and by prince, I mean that really short guy from Minnesota. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the artist artist formerly known as and I think he's now back to being called that. I'm I really wish he'd been mummified quite some time ago. Oh, when prince. Artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as prince. Right. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. and that's, how, that's what he goes by. And now. the symbol. Uh you got another animal that was mummified? Joe? Uh, uh giraffe. No. Oh, why not? Kevin. Why Hippo. Not? No. Ah, damn it. Not that I could find. <laughs> yeah. Joe, curses. back to you. Shrew. Ooh, no, wrong. In Egypt? <laughs> uh, buzzards. Close. Hawks. Did they have hawks because of horses? Yes. Yeah. They did have hawks, uh, falcons. Okay. Another bird that was um, mummified was the ibis. Oh, yes, oh, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. The ibis cult was established primarily during the Ptolemaic and Roman periods and was dedicated to the god of wisdom Thoth. They've num- got the ibis, that's the one with the like super long beak that like spears yeah. things with it, right? Yeah. The number of mummified ibises is extraordinary. Oh, whoa. Saqqara alone is estimated to contain nearly 500,000 of these animals and is also thought to have produced 10,000 mummified offerings per year. Were they in danger of like actually driving these things to extinction <laughs> to like to mummify, mummify them? them all. Yeah, yeah. The kiwi, they just like they killed it. Uh, wiped it out because it was stupid. The ibis because they worshipped it. Like, wouldn't that be ironic, right? <laughs> and maybe that's you're why... sacred. We you're... must preserve all of you in mummification. Yeah, every single one of you that has ever existed on the planet. Maybe they just started killing them for you know because they tasted good, and then started real. Wait, we're gonna wipe these out. We better make sure some of these last forever. <gasps> in the afterlife. let's mummify half a million of them <laughs> so that our children will always know what they look like. Approximately four million ibis burials have been uncovered at the catacombs of. Tun el Gebel. Mummification of the ibis included desiccation and evisceration. Usually the head and neck of the bird were bent backwards and pressed on the body. Oh. The body was then dipped in tar and wrapped uh-huh. tightly with linen. 
The vast number of mummified ibises suggests that this was done in a mass production. As many times the mummies contained only part of the body. After serving their ritual purposes, the mummified bodies were placed in ceramic pots, coffins, or sarcophagi. There's like a whole cottage industry for mummifying yeah. ibises. Any other guesses for mummified animals? Anyone. Just throw it out there. Uh, you, the listener. Uh, elephant. <laughs> elephant. Come on. Mouse. They didn't ca- surely, surely a pharaoh at some point said, we got to mummify one of those. Come on. <laughs> well, if uh, 10,000 BC taught me any- anything, mammoths helped to build the pyramids. So there must have been a few lying around. Yeah. <laughs> How about bulls? Okay. Okay. Gen- I don't generally think of bulls when I think of Egypt. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, the apis bulls, I think they were called, mm-hmm. were generally fastened to boards and metal clamps through which bandages were passed to secure the bull to the board and then wrapped as the relative position of bandages to boards indicates. The bulls were arranged in the position of a recumbent sphinx, a position not natural to the animals. Oh, with the oh, like yeah. paws forward yeah. and the legs kind of bent forward. Cutting the tendons, thus releasing the legs without breaking any bone, did this. Ah, okay. Okay. They basically have to mutilate the corpse. No. Uh, well, hopefully, the hopefully they position. had killed it first. <laughs> yes. Now now I'm remembering the time when Garrett and Merrick roasted that pig. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Yes. And they, they put it on the spit. The legs were <laughs> the legs were all stuck out. And Garrett had to break the legs with a baseball bat. <laughs> and I specifically remember him just wailing on this dead pig's legs, trying to break them so that he could bend, cra- them. bend them up so that they could get it onto the spit. And that was the score at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't keep score. It was just like, man, he is beating the crap out of that dead pig. It was definitely not a no-hitter. Also, monkeys. Oh, yeah. Oh, I should have guessed that, actually. When the Theban queen Makara's tomb was discovered, there was a small mummified bundle present at her feet, which was initially believed to be her child. This puzzled archaeologists because Queen Makari was a high priestess who had taken a vow of celibacy. If this had been her child, it would have meant that she had broken the oath she had taken as a high priestess. Finally, in 1968, an x-ray was done on the small mummy, and it was determined to be an adult green monkey. So she, uh, instead of having a kid, had a pet monkey. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, so, like, she's like the Egyptian queen version of Crazy Cat Lady. Well, she only had the one, as far as we know. Well, mummified one. You'd also have gazelle, baboon, z, fish. Fish would be mummified. Mummified really? fish. Yeah. Isn't that just, just uh, smoked salmon? Yes. I guess, yeah. Serpents, eels, and beetles. And most of these were mummified uh, beetles. They don't really need it. They kind of have like the, I know they kind of come with the shell. Like you just, how do you mummify a? You stick a pin through them, and after they stop moving, they'll dry out. <laughs> yeah, and become mummified. Yeah. So most Maybe of these just, were either pets that were supposed to uh, you were going to bring to the afterlife, right. or mm-hmm. you know, part of a sacred cult or whatever. But they also, like ducks specifically, were used for food. Right. So you'd mummify ducks for food in the afterlife. Right. You have something to eat in there. But wait a sec. We already established that you took out all your innards. So there's no toilets in the afterlife. Why do you need yeah, food? But they thought that you th- they thought that your brain your heart was where you thought. Like right. they don't understand how all that stuff works. <laughs> Last pop quiz question. Okay. For you, Kevin. Uh-huh. In the original D D red box edition, what oh. is a mummy's special attack? Oh. I did own this. Uh Redbox. the mummy special attack is um biting. <laughs> Isn't it f- I scoff at you, sir. I don't know if it counts as a special attack, but don't they cause fear? Like when you see it, you have to that save That is correct. Each ah. character who sees a mummy must make save versus paralysis or be paralyzed with fear. Uh-huh. 
And also Mummy Rot, which prevents magical healing and all wounds take oh, ten yeah. times as long to heal. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. that's not annoying. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so we finally defeated that mummy. We'll wait for a couple weeks and heal up. That's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> that's verisimilitude, my friend. Well, but, but here's rot. the thing. From, from a game point of view, all that it makes you do is say, and we wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is not either, it's either not a drawback or it's a really annoying one. So we have lots of uh, cool photos of mummified animals that we'll put on causticsodapodcast.com. The, I'm uh-huh. guessing that's a crocodile, but it looks like a snake. Yeah, I know. Because they've bound it so tightly. Well, uh, it could be a snake that just ate a goat. Looks like it's got hips. Yeah, yeah. It could have something. <laughs> I like the bull. I like the bull. It, uh, they painted the eyeballs and everything. Yeah. So it looks like it's looking at you. So how do you make a mummy? Well, in the science, I got some information. <laughs> Before I forget, I will recommend to every, all of our listeners that they watch, find and watch the television television program from bbc called mummifying alan okay this is i think it's an hour and a half long show uh-huh and a guy in england says in his will i want to be mummified well they were trying to they put an ad in the paper looking for someone to be mummified for this science project uh-huh and so this guy from uh, torquay i think who had lung cancer said sure i'll do it Sounds okay. like a good time. Mm-hmm. And so the show is basically them. They have a theory about how Egyptian mummification, Egyptian mummification works. I mean, right. there's certain facts that they know, and then there's some other kind of mysteries. That's so, just conjecture. Yeah, so they kind of go through the entire process. So you watch him be mummified, uh-huh. and it is fascinating. Okay. And throughout, I mean, they have interview clips with him and his wife before he dies. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the program, as they're mummifying him, um, they play clips of what he thinks the process will be like and stuff like that. And oh, so, so it's like what he thinks it will feel like? Well, you more know? of just like, I think it would be cool for this reason and that reason. And, you know, uh, yeah. So. As opposed to say, if I were alive and this was happening, it would be <laughs> sticky. No. Right? Not like go that. into that much detail. <laughs> okay. But it's quite fascinating. All right. Sounds interesting. So how to make a mummy Egypt style. So you got your dead corpse. Mm-hmm. Wash the body with good smelling palm wine. And rinse it with water from the Nile, if the uh, Nile is available. Okay, I just got to point out a party foul of like wasting all that wine on a dead guy. <laughs> just saying. Then make it cut in the left side of the body. This is the tra- called the transabdominal slit. Mm-hmm. And remove the internal organs, which are the first part of the body to Wait, decompose. Yes. Their left side or my left side when I'm looking at them? <laughs> their left side. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is important. It is. You can also remove the organs through the anus if the body was uh, of the elite. Oh, Doi. good. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't want to desecrate their body with a transabdominal slit. Transabdominal slit, slit yeah. Wash the liver, lungs, stomach, and intestines and pack them in natron, which will dry them out. Sometimes, but not always, a long hook can be used to smash the brain and pull it out through the nose. And that was only done in certain circumstances? I'm not sure where, why some were and some weren't, but uh, different figures on how many were. I think it was a, a fifth of them were not. So most of them. Okay. Cover and stuff the body with natron. Save all of the fluids and rags from the embalming process. They will be buried along with the body. If they believed that the heart was where your reason and intelligence lay, what did they think the brain did? <laughs> that's uh, boner land. <laughs> maybe I that's, don't know. Maybe that's why they didn't care about <laughs> scooping it out with like a spoon or anything. Like, yeah. like... Oh, what the hell? It doesn't do anything. Maybe they thought to pump the blood around. <laughs> yeah. After 40 days, wash the body and cover it with oils to help the skin stay elastic. Wrap the dehydrated internal organs in linen and return them to the body or put them in canopic jars if you're in an earlier dynasty. Miss mm-hmm. Jackson, if you're dynasty. 
Oh, <laughs> why didn't you save that for your intro? That was pure gold. Stuff the body with dry materials such as sawdust, leaves, and linen so that it looks lifelike. Cover the body again with good smelling oils. Wrap the body in fine linen, starting with the head, neck, fingers, and toes, and then arms and legs. Okay. Put amulets in between the layers of wrapping to protect the body in its journey through the underworld. Oh, oh, okay. Mag- some magical amulets. Do, yep. You gotta get your hands in some of those. Yeah. Yep. Don't forget to have a priest read spells during the wrapping to ward off evil spirits. Right. Tie the arms and legs together. Place between the hands a papyrus scroll with spells from the Book of the Dead. Okay. Like, put that the, on my shopping list. Yeah. Because the evil spirits can kind of get like trapped in between the layers of wrapping. Maybe. Or something. Maybe. You know. Yeah. You know. That's Maybe like. They just want to fuck up your passage to the underworld. You know what that's like. That's like going camping and getting going to bed and getting a mosquito stuck inside your tent with you. Oh, that's, that's the worst. That, it's just like that, getting an evil spirit stuck in your wrapping in like the second layer. More wrappings happens next. Uh-huh. At every layer, the bandages are painted with liquid resin that helps glue the bandages together. Wrap a cloth around the body and paint a picture of Osiris on it. Put the body inside a coffin. Put that coffin inside another coffin. Oh, so like uh, Russian doll style. Perform some more rituals and then put that coffin inside a stone sarcophagus and you're pretty much done well it's like a matroshka doll of coffins mm -hmm. there's a sarcophagus with a coffin and inside that coffin is another coffin and then inside that coffin is a mummy (laughs) so how long would this process take for each and every mummy weeks months i'm sure yeah uh, yeah, because you'd have to I'd, wait for probably things like to dry. Probably like six months at least, I would think. Yeah, you'd have to wait for things to dry yeah. and cure yeah, yeah. and whatnot. Certainly it took weeks and weeks to do uh, Alan from so Turkey. would hmm. this be a good job or a bad job to have? Mummifying I imagine you're constantly. paid pretty well as a top-notch embalmer of the pharaohs. Yeah, and it would probably kick ass hmm. over, like, you know, a growing papyrus or some shit, right? Chasing, so, chasing hippos off your lawn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ask.com says it will take about, it took about 70 days to mummify somebody using the about ancient two Egyptian and a half technique. Yeah. But, of course, there are other ways to make a mummy. This comes from Quigley's Cabinet blog. Mm-hmm. There is an account from 1891 of a French doctor who devised a way of preserving corpses by coating them with a layer of metal. Metal. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is where they got the idea for Colossus in the X-Men comic. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a quote. Dr. Varlet, a surgeon in a major hospital in Paris, has developed a method of covering the body of a deceased person with a layer of metal in order to preserve it for eternity. Okay. The draw- uh, now, are you sure that the body doesn't stay preserved? It kind of like rots out in between. We end up yeah, with a perfect maybe you'll never know. person-shaped <laughs> statue, right? The drawing illustrates, and we can po- we'll post this on causticsodapodcast.com, how this is done with the cadaver of a child. The body is first made electrically conductive by atomizing nitrate of silver to, on, to it. Okay. To free the silver in this solution, the object is placed under a glass dome from which the air is evacuated and exposed to the vapors of white phosphorus dissolved in carbon disulfide. Okay. Having been made conductive, the body is immersed in a galvanic bath of sulfate of copper, thus causing a one millimeter thick layer of metallic copper to be deposited on the skin. The result is a brilliant red copper finish of exceptional strength and durability. And only one millimeter thick, so so you couldn't, like, knock it over the head of an intruder if they came in, like, club them to death with your baby. Well, assuming the child is still inside, it would be some weight to it. Yeah, some half, but you would yeah. dent it pretty easily, oh, yeah. one millimeter thick. There's also mention of an earlier French patent granted in 1857 to Eugene Theodore Noailier, whose process is quoted as follows. First, stop up all the apertures with modeler's wax. And apertures, he means nose, anus, <laughs> <Ears>. pee hole. <laughs> what not? Yes, yeah. the pee hole. Nipples. Yeah. 
<laughs> or some other convenient material and place the dead animal body, which may be a human corpse, in a suitable attitude and spread over the skin, which is of a greasy nature, uh-huh. a layer of suitable metallic salt. Okay. Pulverized nitrate of silver is very easily applied. This then penetrates into the pores of the skin, and when a sufficient quantity of nitrate of silver has been thus applied to the body in question, by means of a brush or otherwise, mm-hmm. it is then put into a bath of sulfate of copper, and the galvanic current being established. The whole surface soon becomes covered with a metallic deposit of copper of the requisite thickness, the result being a metallic mummy. Hmm. Uh-huh. There needs to be a movie about this. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. It's kind of like Gollum meets mummy. Yeah, it's a way to like uh, now that people are are not afraid of you know an old dead guy wrapped in bandages. Mm-hmm. It's a way to up the uh, up the ante. Up the ante. A patent was issued in 1934 to Levon Kasabian for his method of preserving dead bodies, with an illustration and method described. Do you think Kasabian his has anything to do with the cassava melon? Yes, he was mm-hmm. named after he loved cassava melons so much that he, he became known. No, he just became known as the Kasabian. Oh. oh, so he's like it's like share, right? <laughs> it's Kasabian. The herein met- described method of preserving dead bodies, which consists in coating the entire surface of the body to be preserved with wax, then applying to the wax coated body a thin layer or coating of a copper containing solution, then winding the body with copper wire so as to completely enclose same. They definitely liked copper yeah. as part of the process. The copper was definitely the uh, the covering, the metal covering of choice for these modern mummies. So it, it looks a little bit more like a traditional mummy because it's got all these wrapped wire around it. That sounds like expensive. That sounds like a lot more expensive uh-huh. than resin than and lin- cloth. Although linen is hard to make, I've heard. But not harder than copper. Well, well certainly not to ancient Egyptians. Yeah. <laughs> Then applying braces to the neck and feet portions of the wire-bound body, which braces are provided with electrical terminals, and then electroplating the wire, the wire-wound coated body. That sounds really arduous. Well, it's not for everyone. Well, I mean, it did become a. You know, this was invented in 1934, and we don't. Nobody, not everybody, has a copper-wrapped mummy in their hallway or anything. It's not like we're preserving our relatives this way to honor them. Yeah, it's like just one of those business ideas that just doesn't catch on. It's like beta. Then there's the soap lady of the Mutcher Museum. Okay, so they just like packed her with like Dove well, or Irish Spring. You guys remember Adipocere? Yeah. The corpse wax. Yeah. Who was the soap lady? Well, she was a short, stout woman, no older than 40, with a healthy skeleton who died for reasons unknown in the 1830s. Okay. She was discovered by workers removing bodies from an old burial yard. In Old City, Pennsylvania, in 1875. Okay. In a mummified state and put on exhibit in the Mutter Museum in Philadelphia, which if you're in Philadelphia, you should definitely go and check out the Mutter Museum. You know what the annoying part about that museum is? What's that? When you get those headsets for the like walking tour, <laughs> yeah. and all they do is they do this. <laughs> show you a mummy in the corner. <laughs> it has thousands of medical oddities. Ah, I see. One day I hope to go there. In 2008, researchers performed a CT scan on the woman's mummified body, hoping to learn more about saponification, the process that turns some corpses into a waxy, soap-like substance called adipocere. Okay, so now how bad do you want to break off a chunk of this chick and see if you can wash with it? <laughs> Very badly. <Yeah. laughs> Just don't wash your face or your balls. <laughs> You know, to start. But to those start. are my dirtiest parts, Kevin. <laughs> my dirtiest parts. Yeah, you just got to ease into it here, Torn. 
The CT scan unexpectedly revealed some organ tissue, and the results will give researchers greater understanding of saponification. So this is, are you going to explain the process now? Well, saponification is an unusual occurrence dependent on factors such as humidity, temperature, the presence of clothing, and bacterial activity. The fatter the person, Mm -hmm. the greater the chance saponification will occur. So this actually just will happen naturally when you bury a body and all these like yeah. proper things, like the stars all kind of <laughs> yes, align. exactly. The mummification. And you become a soap, a soap lady. And then they dig you up and uh, have baths with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The CT scan was taped for a television series called The Mummy Roadshow. Who's seen this? It's like no, Antiques Roadshow? I like- found this mummy in my attic. I'm wondering how much it's worth. <laughs> oh, cool. This is worth quite a bit, this one here. You found something very nice. <laughs> Oh, I've never seen one quite as soapy as this before. Oh, uh, oi, what's this? Her bum's halfway gone. Have you been washing with her? <laughs> uh, this was a show in 2001 on the National Geographic Channel. I tried to find this so I could watch it, but I could not find it. It probably got canceled pretty quickly. No, it was, I think it was two or three uh, seasons. What? <laughs> Scient- mummy road show? Yeah. Good Lord. Scientists determined that she may have died from malaria or yellow fever and that she had calcifi- she had calcification in her abdomen that may have been a gallstone or kidney stone. Okay. Then, moving on, we have Sokushinbutsu. Okay, this is a Japanese mummy. Sokushinbutsu. It's got to be a Japanese mummy, right? Yes, they were Buddhist monks or priests who caused their own deaths in a way that resulted in their mummification. So they started scooping out their own brains with a spoon <laughs> and then took out no, their own no, innards. No. What? No, that's not... What? This practice reportedly took place almost exclusively in northern Japan around the Yamagata prefecture. It is believed that many hundreds of monks tried, but only between 16 and 24 such mummifications have been discovered to date. Isn't that a drag? You try to kill yourself mummy style and it doesn't even work? That makes, it, that makes it an achievement. Now I want to try. <laughs> yeah, now these guys are all winners. Challenge accepted. The practice is not advocated or practiced today by any Buddhist sect. Joe. Yeah, because they probably wiped themselves out by mummifying it's gonna themselves. It's going to be a new atheist sect tradition because, you know, when I get my cancer and have a few days to live, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go die as a mummy. Well, let's let's hear about the process first because this may be awful. Yeah. the For a thousand days, the priest would eat a special diet consisting only of nuts and seeds. A thousand mm. days is three, three years. years of nuts and seeds, Joe. Could I have a nut and seed pizza? Mm. No. Okay, this is looking not as good. Then. While taking part in a regimen of rigorous physical up, activity. Up, up, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> that stripped them of their body fat. Here's <laughs> the thing. There's very little rigorous physical activity I like. This is the reason that so many people tried it, because after starting this process, all you wanted to do was die. Right, it It created the the, it the it eliminated the will to live. You should go on the Sukushinbitsu diet and lose some of that extra fat. And like by day three, like oh my god, I'm gonna kill myself. (laughs) I've got so much to live for, like eating things other than nuts and not rigorous physical exercise all day to eliminate all of my body fat. They then ate only bark and roots for another thousand days. Oh my god! And began drinking a poisonous tea made from the sap of the urushi tree normally used to lacquer bowls okay we're now at six years of planned painful suicide i'm calling bs <laughs> this caused vomiting and a rapid loss of bodily fluids and most importantly it made the body too poisonous to be eaten by maggots oh so you're you're actually making your flesh poisonous 
so as to increase your odds of preservation. Finally, a self-mummifying monk would lock himself in a stone tomb barely larger than his body, where he would not move from the lotus position. His only connection to the outside world was an air tube and a bell. Each day, he rang a bell to let those outside know that he was still alive. <laughs> when the bell stopped ringing, the tube was removed and the tomb sealed. After the tomb was sealed, the other monks in the temple would wait another thousand days and open the tomb to see if the mummification was successful. Good Lord. If the monk had been successfully mummified, they were immediately seen as a Buddha and put in the temple for viewing. Usually, though, it was just a decomposed body. Oh, all Sad. that for all nothing. That for just a gross So do you think pile. they'd wait till they got old enough and they're like, you know, I probably don't have any more than six years left. Yeah, so I want to be a Buddha. I'm going to try. I'm going to shoot for the Buddha. I'm going to shoot for the Buddha moon. For the Buddha moon. Take a stab at it, right? Or do you think there were there some like people who had m far more than six years left in their calendar who were like, I'm rolling the bones. I'm yeah. going for it. It could be. I'm so ascetic. In 1975, an earthquake in northern India opened an old tomb containing the mummified body of monk Sangha Tenzin. In 2004, the local police excavated the, the tomb and removed the mummy. The mummy is remarkably well-preserved with skin intact and hair on his head. He died in a seated position with a rope around the neck and thighs, an esoteric practice recorded in few Buddhist documents. Mm -hmm. Local lore claims that he asked his followers to mummify him during a scorpion infestation in the town, and when his spirit left his body, a rainbow appeared and the scorpions disappeared. Oh, so he's like the St. Patrick of the Buddhist world. Yeah, this is why scorpions hate pride parades. <laughs> You know, I've never seen a scorpion in a pride parade. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. Now I think, think I know about one. it. I will not have you disparaging the good name of the outstanding rock band Scorpion. Rock you like a hurricane. They will rock everything like a hurricane, including a pride parade. And, They're not afraid to do it. And it's gender neutral rocking. Totally. And and preference neutral. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll rock anybody. They'll rock anybody that's, like a that's, hurricane. That's what rocking like a hurricane but means. only like yeah. a hurricane. Com completely uh, everybody rocking. Yeah. Because the hurricane just shows up. And, yeah, it's indiscriminate. Mm -hmm. Yep. That, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about Luang Pho Dang. Let's. Let's talk about that name. It's great. After he died at 79 years old while meditating, this was in the mid-1980s, the Buddhist monk Luang Pho Dang was closed in a glass coffin and left with his mudra pose with his legs folded lotus style. He, his name sounds so close to dirty, but nothing there is actually like there's, there should be a dong in there somewhere, but it's yeah. not. It's just. So yeah. he actually was meditating in the lotus position and he died. Mm -hmm. So they just like built a glass case around him yeah. and, and sealed it up. Today, his body remains incredibly well preserved. Dang's mummified corpse is housed in the charming Thai town temple of Wat Kunaram on Ko Samui Island in Thailand. So they didn't treat the body or anything. They just like sealed it up, and that's and he just magically preserved itself. Seems uh, seems like that way. That's it's the story they're telling anyway. Well, we may never know. Monks at the temple put sunglasses over the mummy's sunken, empty sockets in order to make him less disturbing to the visiting <laughs> children and others who come to pay their respects. So he kind of looks like he's like the California raisin uh -huh. of, yeah. uh, of Thailand. Buddhist or, monks. Or weekend at Bernie's, the yeah. Buddhist edition. Yeah, exactly. Or one monk was like, you know what? He could be cooler. <laughs> Man, no matter yeah. where I move in this meditation room, it's like his, his sunken eyes are sockets. following me. His sockets are following me. Can put we some put sunglasses. some sunglasses? Oh, oh, God, it's creeping me out. 
little, How do they decide what brand of sunglasses to get? Little raisin eyes. Radiographs of the mummy have revealed that he still wears his dentures and that in death he has become a hatchery for a native gecko species. <laughs> the lizards lay eggs in his body cavities beneath his leathery skin. His brain tissue and organ systems are remarkably intact, although small in size due to dehydration. So do they have an, a scientific explanation for his... I guess seemingly he, inexplicable I, I preservation. Guess I guess he was just really dry. Like he died in that position probably during a really hot, dry period. So thank just, goodness he didn't like, uh, you know, chug a bottle of water right before he croaked. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And he was also known for this dry wit. Could be. <laughs> now in the cholera episode, we uh-huh. mentioned the mummies of Guanajuato. Okay. Yeah. These are a number of naturally mummified bodies interred during a cholera outbreak near Guanajuato, Mexico in 1833. Uh-huh. All of these mummies were disinterred between 1865 and 1958 when the law required relatives to pay a tax in order to keep the bodies in the cemetery. Uh, yes. You want to keep your dead relative in here, cough up some cash. Okay, so then they'd show up with a, with a shovel or a trowel or whatever they had, digging device. So 90% of the bodies in the cemetery were disinterred because their relatives did not pay the tax. 2% of these were naturally mummified. The bodies were stored in a building, and in the 1900s, the mummies began attracting tourists. The place was turned into a museum called El Museo de los Momias. Oh, they had no idea what mummy was in Spanish. Momias. Momias. Either they just lay them all face down, so you're just looking at a bunch of mummy ass. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. In some cases, the dying were buried alive by accident. As a result, some of the mummies have horrific expressions attesting to their death. Oh, because they like the cholera they were so bad that they're like you know <laughs> so, breathing was so weak and they were like unconscious. But horrified expressions. Well, presumably not all of them died of uh, cholera. Mm-hmm. The museum is known to have the smallest mummy in the world, a fetus, perhaps as a result of spontaneous abortion, from a pregnant woman who fell victim to cholera. I want to see the movie of that chasing people around. <laughs> yes. Oh, the mummy fetus. <laughs> the mummy fetus. Be a, a little bit of Chucky and a little yeah. bit of, of the, the mummy. mummy. <laughs> Oh, and it would strangle you with its umbilical cord. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. It would swing around like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Using it. And a bull, yeah, instead of a bullwhip. That's how this cord. little tiny thing becomes so mobile. Like Spider-Man almost. There needs to be <laughs> There needs to be an Indiana Jones sting. Like when it, it saves itself dun, from something. Dun, dun, yeah, exactly. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. It takes it out of the horror movie realm, doesn't it? Yeah. Makes it into more of a Brendan Fraser mummy. <laughs> yeah. Examinations have revealed evidence of such diseases as rheumatoid arthritis, extreme anemia, and tuberculosis, sometimes severe enough to cause death. There's also evidence of smoke inhalation, either from smoking tobacco or from working in the local mines. A number of babies died at a very early age, possibly from weanling diarrhea. You guys have this? No. Uh, Weanling? Yeah, no. Weanling diarrhea, a bacterial infection that babies in pre-industrial societies often contract when adults begin to feed them solid food that they have softened by chewing. Mm, okay, all right. Weanling mm. diarrhea. I'm not pre-chewing anybody's food. <laughs> what about your own? Uh, maybe a little bit. Kevin, little bit I would that. pre-chew your food if you needed to. No, no, I swallow my full, my food whole. Like if I fit it into the, the size of my mouth and so then you're just like a snake. choke it down. Just, uh, I unhinge. Uh, yeah, that's how, I, that's how I eat. That's why you and I only go for dim sum time. If I just pop them. Oh, yeah, that's right, because they're small enough to eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have to give you the Heimlich maneuver every single time (laughs) that we go as well. All right, Chiesa de Morti. Who knows what that means? Chiesa de Morti. Well, of the dead. Church of the dead. Ah. Ah. A tiny church in Urbania. 
Urbania. That sounds like a made-up country. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a country. It's a lively medieval town. Oh, okay. Yeah, it sounds like a fake a fake city. Yeah, like I know, in like a, a video a, game or yeah. something. No, no, it sounds like a city in a James Cameron movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. They go to Urbania to find, uh, you know, people them. It's in central Italy (laughs) As soon as visitors enter through the broke doorway of the church They are brought into the chapel How do they enter through a broke doorway? Baroque (laughs) Baroque, if you prefer that pronunciation No, no I don't Uh, Known as the Mummy Cemetery In the cemetery, 18 mummies are standing in individual glass cases That have been on display behind the altar since 1833 Wow The Brotherhood of Good Death what? Oh man, that is a superhero group name <laughs> no, that I need it's to super steal. Super villain. No superhero, man. Like you go around giving people good deaths. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, no, it's a bunch of like uh, ancient Vikings, right? You know, as long as you died right. in battle, you died a good death. Yeah, there you That's go. right. Yeah. They they save you from embarrassing deaths and then kill you like a warrior. Or you know, they just go. They're they're Vikings on a yeah, suicide maybe, mission. Maybe they go to like hospitals where a kid is dying of cancer That's or right. something like that. I would grab this sword, kid. <laughs> yeah, ching ching. Yeah. You you will not die to this cancer. You will die in battle. <laughs> On your way to Valhalla then. Godspeed. See you in Stovacor. <laughs> we are the heroes of this world now, but you're making this kid die. He'll die anyway. I do not like the fact that yeah, you worked in a, a good death. I do not like the fact you worked in a um, Klingon reference to my Viking. You better believe it. Story. Klingons are like the biker Vikings. Vikings? Star Trek. Vikings, yes. Anyway, the Brotherhood of Good Death, Uh a group founded in 1567, is responsible for the mummy display. The original goals of the brothers were to assist the poor and the dying, provide free burial for the dead, and register the deaths. Okay. So they didn't go around killing people. (laughs) Well, or preserving them. Maybe they didn't kill them, per se. Uh, These mummies were naturally mummified by the presence of a mold. That sucked all the moisture out of the bodies. Oh, mummy mold. Mummy mold, yeah. What's its special power in the D&D box set? The mummy mold? Yeah. Oh, you don't, you don't, don't, do not breathe this. Do not breathe this mold. It's worse than black mold. <laughs> Mummies in the display include a man who suffered from Down syndrome who died of heart failure, a murder victim, and a woman who died during a cesarean birth, as was always the case during medieval times. If you had a cesarean birth. It, it, you always died? Did not survive. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was all about getting the baby out. Saving the baby. Because if you don't do it this way, then you're going to lose the baby and the mother. Oh, I guess so. Plus, you know, women were kind of chattel back then. So were babies, though, that as we baby... found out in infanticide. <laughs> yeah. That baby could be a boy baby. Yeah, yes, true. Much exactly. more valuable. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about Tolland Man. Okay. We don't have to, but we're going to. I saw a show about this guy on um, TLC or PBS or some. And he's, one of, he's one of those bog people. He is. This guy was uh, discovered in the peat bogs of northern Europe. Mm-hmm. His remains were discovered in 1950 by villagers in the town of Tolland, Denmark, who were gathering peat for fuel. Uh-huh. You know peat, right? Oh, uh, yeah, peat yeah. Peat moss? Yeah, and we burn him all the time. Yeah. Initially, his remark... And by, by burn, I mean, like, insult him. Right. Like, Burn! Initially, his remarkable state of preservation led the villagers to believe they were viewing a recent murder victim, and after much debate, the local police were called. Ah. Puzzled by the appearance of the remains, the police called scientist P.V. Glob. Glob? <laughs> what, what, what an apropos name for a scientist who's going to investigate the, uh, the appearance of a man in a peat bog. Dr. Glob. Uh-huh. To the site, please. <laughs> Police report to the that, that, again. That sounds like a superhero, uh, super villain yeah. name, like you know, oh, Doctor yeah. Glob. 
Recognizing that this was an ancient burial, Glob began efforts to remove the body for further study. Like all the bog people, Tallinn Man showed signs of a violent death. Nude, but for a leather cap and wide belt around his waist. That's how I want to go. <laughs> the body was discovered with a rope tightly wound around his neck. Oh. This Iron Age man had been hanged in what is commonly thought now to be a ritual sacrifice. Right. Knowledge on how to best preserve discoveries like Tallinn Man was not yet known in 1950, and only the head of the original specimen was kept intact. Wow. The rest of the body was subjected to various tests to determine his age, probably 40, mm-hmm. and the conditions surrounding his life and death. Tallinn Man's body was reconstructed for the exhibit, which now resides in the Silkborg Museum in Denmark. It, I mean, obviously, we're going to put a picture of this guy yeah. on the website, uh, CausticSodaPodcast.com. He looks not over 40. Like, his <laughs> his facial expression is quite recognizable. Like, yeah. you know, he's definitely uh, eyes closed, having a dirt nap. <laughs> the rope used to end his life still lies wrapped around his throat, and visitors can peer into the almost peaceful visage of this victim of ancient violence. You think back in this day, it actually would have been worth while to like take the rope off but uh you know you could reuse that rope hey you take that rope off he's gonna get up and start walking around again uh, that's true that's the magic rope that that's, keeps him that's the binding rope not the, the 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 like putting his body in a peat bog and then stomping on him until he's like <laughs> you know <laughs> inured in the muck who knows how many times he'd risen from other peat bogs before that to terrorize a village true enough. And until yeah. they put the magic rope around his neck little did they know they left the, the magic hat on that uh, still allowed it to happen right oh,
in the news. August 2013 in Diepholz, Germany. Okay. Possibly deep holes. Defaults. Sure. I prefer the term deep holes. There was a lot of excitement when a boy found a mummy in a sarcophagus in an attic. Okay. Many thought that once the mummy was examined, it would turn out to be a fake. But after radiological analysis, it has become clear that beneath the bandages lies a human skull with an arrowhead in one of its eye sockets. Oh. In addition to plates decorated with hieroglyphs and bones wrapped in metal foil. Okay. So wait, is it a real mummy or isn't it? I mean, a 10-year-old boy discovered the sarcophagus while poking around his grandmother's attic. Mm -hmm. It had apparently been well hidden there for decades. Because it was one of her (laughs) ex-husbands. The boy's father... A dentist thought that his own father must have brought it and other souvenirs back from his travels to North Africa in the 1950s. The mummy got a CT scan and Mm x-rays. The results, which showed human bones, came as a surprise. This was partly because a Berlin archaeologist had determined the material used to wrap the 1.49-meter mummy dated back to the 20th century and was probably machine-made linen or cotton bandaging. Okay. The scans showed that the carefully wrapped object contains a skull and a relatively intact skeleton, but all of the bones except for the skull are wrapped in a kind of metal foil, making further x-ray analysis impossible. So it's like to defeat x-ray. Possibly, yes. So it sounds like it's a fake. In addition to the arrowhead and the eye socket, the skull is also wrapped with a metal diadem. Who knows what a diadem is? It's a band that looks like a crown. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Joe knew what a diadem was. Nice. A missing neck vertebra points to the possibility that the bones could belong to more than one body. Oh, so Frankenstein mummy. A, oh, my God. You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a horror movie for the ages. Why isn't there a, a movie from 1947 called Frankenstein mummy? Well, Frankenstein kind of is a mummy. Uh-huh. It's kind of a zombie mummy yeah, without of, the yeah. wrappings. A mystery that persists is who prepared the remains and when, and that is a question that may interest police. If it turns out that the death occurred 3,000 years ago, then we won't pursue the case any further, said spokesman for the public prosecutor's office, but we will if the person responsible for the obviously violent death could still be alive. That's the public prosecutor's office telling you that they don't want to go back in time to prosecute. (laughs) (laughs) We have not yet developed that technology. Uh, So no answers on this yet. No answers on this yet. This young boy's grandmother, who I'm presuming is passed on herself, and that's why he's just poking around and she has nothing to say on the matter about the origins of it, could turn out to be a vicious serial killer. Yep. Making mummy bodies out of many her many victims for her own amusement and entertainment. Or just to throw off the scent. <laughs> there you go. Wrap it in metal foil. No one will ever know. That is the weird part, because I doubt that ancient Egyptians had metal foil. <laughs> I do. They may have had copper. <laughs> June 28th, my birthday, oh. 2011. Happy birthday, if anybody is listening to this on June 28th. On Rochapelago, Italy. Archaeologists restoring the fortress-turned-parish Church of St. Paul the Apostle have discovered 281 bodies piled in a pyramid shape under the church floor. Mm-hmm. Men, women, and children. Okay. 100 of the bodies were naturally mummified with skin, tendons, hair, and clothes intact. The people weren't the only creatures in that crypt to find themselves unexpectedly preserved. Rats and larvae were too. Oh, there you go. The unusual preservation was due to a confluence of the consistently cold temperature and two slots in the church wall that kept the air constantly circulating. This vaulted crypt was first used for traditional 
inhumation underground, but the practice later changed to corpses being dropped from a trap door in the church. Yeah. There are several initial layers of bodies which were not well-preserved, probably due to the weight of the later burials. The final stack of bodies was covered with a thin coating of pebbles, then covered at the apex of the pyramid with large boulders. <laughs> okay. Mm, crushy. <laughs> <laughs> or it like you know kind of uh, press them like when you put a flower yeah, in the pages right. of a book, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just roll, roll up this mummy for easy storage. They were yeah, they were running out of space, and they had to push down the garbage like in the yeah. garbage can. Yeah. yeah, the remains must have already been mummified by then because they were not squashed by the closure of the crypt in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. Okay, although they were dropped into a mass grave, they weren't treating treated disrespectfully. The bodies were all clothed, some of them wrapped in shrouds, some of them placed in bags. That's not disrespectful to put someone in a bag. No, absolutely. It's like putting your bowling shoes in a bag, right? That's actually (laughs) the most respectful thing you could do. (laughs) That's true. Their heads were wrapped so the jaws wouldn't gape open, their clothes tied between their legs so their genitals wouldn't be exposed for all eternity, Oh, (laughs) and their hands folded together as in prayer. Some of them still landed kind of funny. Okay. Including one fellow who was found doing a headstand with his legs open. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Right. This is how I'm going to spend eternity. <laughs> Walking on my hands. Head down, ass up, legs open. In the pop culture. <laughs> Let me jump right to Here Come the Mummies is a funk R&B band best known for their live performances in which band members perform in full mummy attire bandages. Haven't you done that? Uh, toilet paper, I think yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah, right. yeah, And I wrapped yeah. you up in tinfoil right. on yeah. stage once. Yeah, we. I did, I did go in toilet paper once as a mummy, as a toilet paper mummy. Oh, okay, there you go. The band consists of various professional musicians based in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. There are rumored to be several Grammy Awards among the members, though this is difficult to verify as the identities of the band members are kept under wraps. Uh, members are believed to be under contract to various record labels, hiding their identities so as to prevent contract disputes while performing. Nice. Got it. Clever, guys. But uh, this, uh, I mean, there's one photo here that it's a pretty good comi- mummy costume. Yeah, I yeah. listened to uh, the band and was suitably impressed. Uh, I got permission to use one of their songs. Or for this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the album name is Cryptic. You guys know about Yummy Mummy Cereal, right? No. You know about Count Chocula and Frankenberry and yes. Blueberry? Yes. yes. Yummy Mummy was available for a limited time, along with Fruit Brute, which was the <laughs> werewolf cereal. Uh-huh. Oh. And Yummy Mummy, unfortunately, the marketing department found out too late that it has a connotation <laughs> other than... That was much later. This was the 80s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do yeah. you know Yummy Mummies in the 80s? Uh, just a note to our soda jerks. If you're going to Google image search Yummy Mummy, turn on safe search. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is, it's back. The return of Yummy Mummy. Oh, okay. As in a weird confluence of doing this episode, it's uh, it came. It was available in limited release at some Target stores. Uh, I think at the beginning of last month. Okay. And is coming in wide release, probably well, definitely by the time you hear this podcast. So if you want right. fruity, yummy, mummy cereal, I tried to actually because I was down in the states for two weeks almost. Uh, and I tried to find it. I called the Target stores. I went to Target stores, could not find it. So oh. maybe when we play uh, or when we uh, do our podcast at EmilyCon, 
Okay. Because somebody's mailing me some right now. It's in the mail. Okay. Maybe we can have some kind of yummy mummy taste test. Let's Got do it. it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I can tell you're practically grinning with a rictus mummy type grin. Do you think we can get some cashew marzu from the food episode? Maybe. That's the, I... that's the maggot cheese. <laughs> I will never forget about that. Mm, part of this complete breakfast. I watched Bubba Hotep the other night. Bubba Hotep. Yeah, Bubba Hotep. It's a uh, Bruce Campbell movie where he stars as an aged, uh, not even aging, aged. He's old. He's in an old folks mm-hmm. home, Elvis Presley. Bruce He's Campbell where... is every nerd's hero. And I know that I think, I think... You know, our conclusion about whether this movie is good or not, we might have different opinions on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie proves that Bruce Campbell is, in fact, a comedy genius. Why is that? There's one thing that I think we all will all agree on, that this is a very slow-moving movie. Yeah. Uh, that it kind of plods along. Much and there's like not, a mummy. Yeah, there's not a whole heck of a lot of action in it. But there's a lot of long, drawn-out scenes with dialogue and some without dialogue that I found myself laughing hysterically hmm. throughout, both because of the delivery of the dialogue as this Elvis character, as well as just there's one scene. I don't want to spoil it because I think if there's any of our listeners going to go out and watch this for the first time, yeah. if I give it away, it might spoil it. But there's a scene where Bruce Campbell is basically walking, and I laughed for every single second of it. Because there's nothing else going on except him walking, and it was comedy gold as far as I was concerned. Joe, you just you disagree. It didn't work for me. Yeah, I uh, th- the movie was slow. I didn't like the look at me, I'm old, isn't it funny jokes, mm-hmm. uh, and I felt that some of the there's certainly commentary about how we uh, throw away, we dispose of old people and stop mm. caring about what they say and what they do. Uh, and for oh, we didn't even say what happened. So it's he's in an old folks' home, basically just dying. Yeah, he's he's there to basically he's die. A, he's Elvis, or he's an Elvis impersonator. Well, no. we don't know for sure. They, he he claims to be Elvis, who switched places with an Elvis impersonator, uh, and then the Elvis impersonator went off and died. But he lost all his proof that he was Elvis. Right. But it could be that he's a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it's played pretty much as though what he's saying is true, but there's always a eh, who knows. Yeah, because he his like closest companion in the old person's yeah. home is a black man who claims to have the brain of JFK. No, he claims he is JFK, That's who right. has been dyed black. That's right. As part of the conspiracy to cover up uh, his JFK. So, okay. so they establish the fact that there are probably just crazy old people thinking that they're things that they're not. Okay. Right? And then what's the mummy connection? Uh, a mummy ends up in town and starts consuming the spirits of old people in the old folks' home, and only they see it, and only they... Well, they other people could see it, but they never yeah. do. It's just... Yeah. It's not like only old people can see it. Yeah. Uh, it's just it comes when they sleep, and so he finally finds it. And Bruce they have Campbell's to fight character it. takes upon himself to fight the mummy. Oh, yep. nice. Uh, I like this movie. I, I don't think I would go so far as to say I love it, but there are some really funny moments, and I think the dialogue is good. Bruce Campbell's performance, without it, this would be a flop, but with it, it is entertaining. And this is like a thumb sideways movie for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I really should love this movie. Because it's, it's a goofy uh, horror movie about, you know, f- uh, an, uh, either Elvis Presley, super old, you know, and a, and John F. Kennedy, super old, fighting a mummy, attacking people in an old folks home. And, and there's parts I like, but it's just overall just doesn't work. The, the pacing is bad. I didn't, I actually didn't enjoy the stuff you're talking about. I saw a movie called The Robot versus The Aztec Mummy from 1958. Wow. Which you also loved. 
No, I did not. <laughs> it is uh, now again. It's uh, it's from 1958, which you didn't have to adhere to, you know, necessarily uh, the the theatrical format that we've come to know today. So it's thankfully 64 minutes long. Thankfully, okay. And not only is it 64 minutes long, and up on YouTube in its entirety. In its entirety, I, I don't recommend watching it. It's so badly done on so many levels. Not the least of which is the script because the whole thing is told in flashback. So he's the main character has a bunch of people like, remember when this happened and this happened and this happened, he's telling it all in flashback. So he's they're they're running into this mummy and there's all this like stuff going on and blah, blah, blah. But you know that he's, nobody's right. going to die because yeah, they're all sitting they're all there talking about it later. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't they just tell it chronologically? And then you'd have kind of this, like, you know, this, impending threat of like oh maybe somebody might get hurt or die but you know that's not going to happen because they're all alive sitting around a table talking about it it's totally ridiculous and there's tons of scenes where they a person has to walk across a cemetery and they show the entire thing of them walking across the cemetery it takes them like two minutes to walk across (laughs) the cemetery and it's just two minutes of them walking right and you're waiting for some commentary or dialogue or whatever and this was shot in spanish in mexico okay right there's a an evil scientist who decides that he is going to create a robot yes in order to overpower the aztec mummy oh who's been who knows where a bunch of aztec gold is oh Right, Ooh, and the so old treasure hunter routine. Yeah, the old treasure hunter routine. So, but so the, the mummy's not even threatening people. It's just no, no, because the, the what, there's an amulet and a bracelet. Okay, that are these that have the hieroglyphs on them that tell you where the gold is. Right, and so, but if you take that, then he shows up and kills you and takes it back. Okay, they they they, they take it away and they start to decipher it. Then he shows up at the mad scientist laboratory and kills all of his henchmen. Oh, nice! And throws acid in one guy's face oh, and like wow. throws another guy into a snake pit. And because uh, <laughs> in there's, an evil scientist lab is not complete without, without a, a snake, snake pit, pit huh? full of poisonous yeah, snakes yeah. that has a trap door in the back that he can crawl out of without getting bit. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Nice. So okay. that's how they they see him get thrown in the snake pit, and then not till they come back days later they realize there's an open trap door that he escaped out of. So the evil scientist isn't dead. Okay. Oh, I, uh, I have found a saving grace here. Mystery Science Theater 3000 did do the robot versus the Aztec mummy. And that entire thing is up on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Okay, then watch that. Don't watch the actual we'll, movie. We'll link to that from Caustic Soda Podcast. Yes, please. This the, is awful. The idea of an Aztec mummy reminds me of that Super Friends episode with El Dorado. You guys remember who El Dorado is? Bruce. Yeah. Did he grow really tall? No, that no. was Apache oh, Chief. That was Apache Chief. <laughs> Get your facts straight. <laughs> El Dorado had basically uh, illusion powers. Right. Okay. There was a mummy that came down because pyramids were from space and stuff like that, and he was evil. And then uh, a bunch pyramids of stuff from happened. space. Yeah, and he turned uh, people into gold. Okay. Because it was an Aztec mummy. Well, As we all know, uh, we're now looking Aztec at Aztec and gold, El Dorado. It's all coming together. Well, we are seeing a picture of El Dorado where he looks like a, uh, a professional wrestler. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed, he does. Very professional wrestler vibe about him. Well, apparently, this this uh, site says that he spoke English with an accent, sporadically substituting common Spanish words or phrases such yes. as adding words like "rapido" mm-hmm. and replacing nearly every instance of "yes" with "si, sí, señor." <laughs> now, Superman, come and help me. <laughs> I would also like to talk about The Mummy from 1932 with Boris Karloff. Oh, okay. The uh, the original. The, the original. original. Universal uh, monster movie. Yes, released only a decade after Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. An Egyptian priest called Imhotep, 
You'll okay. recognize that from later Mummy movies. Mm-hmm. Is revived when an archaeologist expedition led by Sir Joseph Wemple finds Imhotep's mummy. Imhotep had been mummified alive for attempting to resurrect his forbidden lover, the princess Ankh-Esen Amon. That is a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Sir Joseph's assistant reads aloud an ancient life-giving scroll. Imhotep escapes from the archaeologist, taking the scroll, and prowls Cairo, seeking the modern reincarnation of Ankh-Esen Amon. Oh, totally like the Brendan Fraser movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imhotep encounters a woman bearing a striking resemblance to the princess, believing her to be Ankhus Amon-Ron's reincarnation. He attempts to kill her with the intention of mummifying her, resurrecting her, and making her his bride. Okay. There you go. So since this was the first mummy movie mm-hmm. and predated the common uh, mummy tropes from later films, yeah. um, this mummy is intelligent. He speaks. He doesn't stay in wrappings after he wakes up. He doesn't shamble. And he generally acts more like an ancient sorcerer than a uh, than a, the zombie type. Mummy right. That we're so again, uh, kind of flashing forward to the Brendan Fraser mummy movie where mm-hmm. he uh, issues the, uh, the rotted thing once he starts like you know, killing people and whatnot yeah. and, uh, until he He's becomes muscly Arnold Vosloo. Uh, who I worked with, who is a real prince of a guy. That's what you were, I remember you saying mm-hmm. that. Trivia, the makeup artist began transforming Karloff at 11 a.m., applying cotton, collodion, and spirit gum to his face, clay to his hair, and wrapping him in linen bandages treated with acid and burnt in an oven, finishing the job at 7 p.m. 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. makeup job. Woo! Eight so hours. Eight, eight hours in makeup. Good Lord. All right, that's it. Time to go home. That's a wrap, See you everyone. for makeup tomorrow. <laughs> Karloff finished his scenes at 2 a.m., and another two hours were spent removing the makeup. Karloff found the removal of gum from his face painful and overall found the day the most trying ordeal I ever endured. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you get in these situations and you think to yourself as an outsider, you go... Why wouldn't you just go to bed in it? Just yeah. go to bed in it, and then you come up and do two hours in makeup instead of eight hours in makeup. But then you start thinking, oh, maybe going to bed covered in spirit gum might be <laughs> yeah, relatively maybe, uncomfortable. Know. I think after a day in it, you probably want it off. Yeah. Even if it takes another two well, hours. Well, especially like when you're an actor and you've got all this stuff on your face, yeah. right? You're just like, oh, I just do not want it on my skin anymore. Plus, right? I think, and I'm not sure that they filmed all the mummy scenes in one day because like... Like I said, he didn't spend most of the movie oh, okay. in mummy outfit. Right. right. So maybe it was only that, what are we, till eight and then. I doubt they would be able to six film. Six hours of filming. I doubt they'd be able to film all of the mummy scenes in one day. Mm-hmm. In 32, how many takes do you think they did? All right, that's good. Okay, put them over there. Good. Well, you can't move your cameras around and do like quick setups yeah. like you can in this day and age because the cameras were like a thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ardeth Bay was the alter ego of the mummy Imhotep when he attempts to pass for a modern Egyptian, and Ardeth Bay is an anagram of uh, Ardeth Bay. A-R- Darth, Darth, Darth Yab, Darth Darth Yab, Darth Boy, <laughs> Death by Ra. Oh, oh, oh. I am. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we talk about the Brandon Fraser mummy? Let's get yeah. into it. Jump in with both feet. So the plot of the first one is surprisingly similar. To the original Boris Karloff mummy movie. From 1999. Yep. With Brendan Fraser. Uh-huh. And what's her face? Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. And Arnold Vosloo. I enjoyed it. It's a it's a form a kind of a paint by a numbers action movie. Fun action movie, but, but it's one of the good ones. Entertaining. Yep. It was originally intended to be part of a low budget horror series. Oh, really? Well, that was not low budget. Uh Clive Barker and George A. Romero were each attached to direct at different points. Oh, those would have been very different movies. Yes, indeed they would have. 
Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Chris O'Donnell, and Matthew McConaughey were considered for the role of Rick O'Connell. Yeah, they were all kind of like uh, coming up at the same time. Yeah. The library disaster was done in one take. Remember when all the library shelves fall over and everything? Yeah, yeah. It would have taken an entire day to reshoot if a mistake had been made. Just resetting the shelves alone. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's those are one of those scenes where you set up like 10 cameras, like different angles, and you're just like, we're rolling it all, and we're going to like cobble this together no matter what because we're not redoing it. Here's a few things about that movie that I didn't like. Okay. Okay. Number one is the uh, car- carnivorous I, I, I dung beetles. Wanna... Oh, I was about to say, you can't <laughs> not like the carnivorous dung beetles. I didn't like the carnivorous dung beetles. That was, I, was gonna, I was just about to say, the one thing you must have liked about it was that. Well, unless they were magic dung beetles. Well, of course they are. It's a yeah. magic mummy. I guess so. He just but cast... they eat dung normally. They're dung Nor- beetles. That's that's where the magic comes if from. If they attacked you en masse, they should go straight for your anus and here's, kill you that no, way. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The mummy is an illusionist, and he makes all the beetles think that you are dung. Oh, I see. And then, uh-huh. the, then they Oh, they should have done a dung beetle cam. Yeah, well, <laughs> People made know. a poo that's running right. away from them. Just like... Uh, well, didn't they describe them as scarab beetles, though? Or scarab same beetles thing. And dumb beetles exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Okay, all right. Yep. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Book of the Dead is an actual bound book and not a scroll. All right. Another little thing. And then, generally, for all movies, as we said in How to Make a Mummy, mummy you cover it in, you cover the mummy in resin. Uh-huh. And in real life, like, for example, Tutankhamun, it becomes glued to the sarcophagus. Right. It becomes right. like a mat. It becomes adhered. It becomes like one with the sarcophagus. Yeah. They had to chop him up into tiny chunks and then reassemble him. Yeah. To make that mummy. Okay. To get him out of the sarcophagus. Yeah. So again, magic, you can do anything. Well. <laughs> but normally a mummy would not be able to get out of a, uh, you know, even if it but, had. But he, I mean, the, the mummy in its sort of initial form, I mean, in this movie, well, it wasn't really covered in the wrappings. Really, more yeah. I guess I guess he didn't die the he way was, that a uh, he his yeah. He was more zombieish than right. mummyish, right? Mm-hmm. So. In which case, it shouldn't even be called the mummy. <laughs> Think about <What>? that. <laughs> uh, well, what is a mummy except for an Egyptian zombie? They have to be well preserved. He was not well preserved. <laughs> I'll give it to you though. Uh-huh. Well, The Mummy from 1959 with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee was something else I watched. Okay. In Egypt in 1895. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Talk about Battle of the Creepy Voices. I know. In 1895, archaeologist Cushing, uh, his father and his uncle find the tomb of Princess Ananka, the high priestess of the god Karnak. Mm -hmm. While he's alone, the father finds a scroll of life and reads from it, resurrecting the mummy Karis. Hold on Christopher a Lee. Hold on a sec. Isn't Karnak, isn't that the character that Johnny Carson used to do where he used to read the envelopes? I think so. Is that Karnak? The amazing Karnak. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, with a C, Karnak, C-A-R-N-A-C, Karnak the Magnificent. This is Karnak with a K on both sides. Yeah. Okay. Different. Vastly different. Seriously different. When he's alone, the father finds the scroll of life and reads from it, resurrecting the mummy Karis, who was sentenced to be entombed alive to serve as the guardian of Princess Ananka's tomb as punishment for attempting to bring her back to life out of forbidden love. Wow, this forbidden love thing seems to be a solid through line for all these mummy movies. Peter Cushing's father was the only guy who actually sees the mummy at this point. He goes crazy. Uh, he gets put in a mental institution. He failed Ooh. his save. Yeah, failed his very, lost 1D, 100 sanity. Very great old ones. Yeah. Yeah, You're driven insane by the mere sight of it. A few years later, a devoted worshiper of Karnak comes to England with the mummy to wreak vengeance on uh, the uh, family. Travels with the mummy? Yeah. Uh, like in coach? 
puts him in a coffin. He's got us in a sarcophagus. Uh, okay. Sarcophagus. Right. Uh, he hires a guy, some drunk towns guy, to uh-huh. drive him from, I don't know, the airport or whatever, uh-huh. or the port, yeah. to his house. The mummy starts to come out of the coffin for whatever reason. He yeah. gets all scared. Dumps him into the bog by accident when oh. the, when the goes out of control. Okay, and then um, the Egyptian guy reads from the scroll, brings him out of the swamp. Okay, terror ensues. Right, got it. The mummy kills the father and the uncle, but when it comes to kill Lee, it sees Lee's wife, who looks like the princess. <gasps> so basically, the same plot, just a, a remake. Yeah, like twenty. 20- some odd years later. The thing I didn't like about this, especially in the, because they do a lot of flashback scenes with right. Christopher Lee as regular old Egyptian guy. Right. Kind of looks like an episode of the 1960s Batman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, where it's got the, that, sets are the production value. Yeah. It's like they get it was, the spirit of everything right, yeah. but it's more costumey than like right. authentic in any way. Yeah. Because the budget is kind of like Doctor Who grade instead of Cleopatra grade. Yeah. This like is a hammer actually... film after yeah. all. So, yeah. Yeah. so it kind of so, feels like they're filming a, a play. So, almost. Yeah. Kind of. You don't get that Cleopatra procession where they have 20,000 extras. You don't get that no. in this version no. of The Mummy. No. <laughs> but it did have a really interesting scene. The Egyptian thinks that the mummy has killed off Peter Cushing, but he hasn't because the mummy saw the girl and then just got confused and left. Mm-hmm. Cushing shows up at the Egyptian's house and they have this heated conversation about the British coming in and taking all of Egyptians. Oh, so political commentary. Yeah, there's like a political commentary, like mm-hmm. the artifacts and tradition and, and Peter Cushing's like, no, it's it science. The... You just can't hide it in a hole forever. You got to dig yeah. it up and show it to the world. It's for, it's for everyone and Put stuff like that. Put it in the British Museum. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting uh, yeah. and well-acted scene. Well, n- not only that, like very prophetic because, of course, they've started repatriating a bunch of like old Egyptian artifacts, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it only took like another 50 years to get around to it, straightening that, you know, historical wrong. But uh, I was at the Met last week in yeah. New York. Mm-hmm. No mummies. Lots of statues uh, and sarcophaguses, though. Yes. Like, pretty cool. Sarcophagi. Sarcophagus I. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> what about Abbott and Costello meet the mummy? You guys have all seen this, right? No, I have not. From 1955? Ugh. <laughs> what do you mean? Is it, I, like, I, I've seen Abbott and Costello versus Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Well, this is like, after uh, that. Ugh. So you know it's better. Oh, does that what that mean? Abbott and Costello get mixed up in a plot by thieves to rob the treasure of an ancient Egyptian princess. Uh-huh. The mummy Claris, not Caris, but Claris, uh-huh. is the guardian of her tomb, and the cult returns life to it. There were some funny gags. For example, okay. uh, Costello swallows the medallion that shows where the treasure of the princess is. Right. There's a bunch of like little metal alphabet pieces. Right. Okay. Around the the chain. The chain. Perfect. Uh-huh. Okay. They take them to an X-ray. They can't get. Ca- quite get a view of the medallion so they turn them upside down and shake them a bit and then put them back under and then there's words and then <laughs> hilarious them. words right. and things inside his stomach uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, there's a scene where a bunch of different people try to infiltrate the tomb by dressing up as a mummy and there are shenanigans it's um not a great movie, but it's got some moments. <laughs> was it again. Was it thankfully 65 minutes long? It wasn't a super long movie. I don't remember what the running time was, but yeah. it could have been a little shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tales from the Dark Side, 1990. Okay. Steve Buscemi, Christian mm-hmm. Slater, okay. Julianne Moore. The, this is auspicious beginnings. In the first segment, 
uh, they adapt Arthur Conan Doyle's short story Lot Number Two Forty Nine. So hold on a sec. So this is basically a, a creep show ripoff. Yes. Okay. Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. A graduate student, Bellingham, played by Steve Buscemi, has been cheated by two classmates, Susan played by Julianne Moore, and Lee, played by Robert Sedgwick, who framed him for theft to ruin his chances of getting a competing scholarship. Okay. As revenge, Bellingham reanimates a mummy using the scroll that came along with the mummy and uses it to murder them both. One has his brain picked out through his nose. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So the mummy was paying attention While when still that happened alive. to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are going to do to you? What all, they did to me? All the deaths are mummy related. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Julianne Moore has flowers shoved into her gut, like right through her gut. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's the most poetic of mummies. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, this is only a third of a movie that you have to watch. <laughs> oh, because the other two thirds are no good? I didn't watch them. Okay. I didn't have to, so I didn't. <laughs> well, this third was no good? Uh, was It was interesting to see... The really young Julianne actors. Moore yeah. and Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi looks exactly the same. Well, like, but here's the he's thing. got an old face when he was a teenager, I'm sure. No, but this is 1990, right? And Reservoir Dogs is like 1991. So oh, okay. yeah. he's like right around the corner from actually breaking out. I guess so, yeah. But Julianne Moore, she didn't really like start to hit her stride for like another 10 years, right? Yeah, it would be interesting to see those those actors like such a young age, right? Do you want to talk about Venture Brothers? A little bit. The thing about the Venture Brothers and Mummies is they, they flip the trope on its head. Uh, what it is is the Venture Brothers and the entire family and Brock are so damned used to dealing with this kind of stuff that Mummies cease to even be much of a threat. In the very first episode ever, there's a mummy like that just pops out of nowhere because it got stuck, I think, in the landing gear or something of the plane. Okay. And there's just a scene of Brock Sampson just beating the crap out of it, like manhandling this mummy. Okay. And then he beats it down into a pile and then urinates on it. And they go, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you got to defile the mummy or it'll come back to life. You know that. And he <laughs> walks away after he's pissing on it. Like, that's how little they think of the standard tropes. Right. There's another episode called uh, Escape to the House of Mummies Part 2. There's no Escape to the House of Mummies Part 1. Right. And it's that confused done... me because I wasn't watching these episodes in order. Oh, mm-hmm. it's totally done as a here's the second part of it. And then it all goes, it gets flipped up, flipped upside down and weird stuff happens. And uh-huh. there is a thing going on with a house of mummies, but it's only like occasionally gone to and shown. And then the actual story, which has nothing to do with it, is continued as the main plot. I watched this um, fight sequence about the mummy and defiling it and all the rest of that stuff. And... The Venture Brothers on paper should be a show that I love, yeah. and I just can't get into it. I've watched now like seven episodes, and uh, yeah, just only occasional laughter. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It just, I, uh, just doesn't do it for that me. That and Doctor Who, like it makes me wonder if you're a robot or not. <laughs> like I, I'm a plant. I, I don't believe in a soul as a separate thing, but it is a good word to use to describe the thing that makes us different, like the uh-huh. whole complicated way our brains work. And I think your brain just doesn't work that complicated. <laughs> and you're kind of a robot with no soul. You have no a soul. bad soul. Oh, yeah. Better than a lack of soul, Joe. Hey, I got a good deal for that. <laughs> we have to talk about Mumra the Ever-Living. <laughs> do we? Do we have to? From, from Thundercats, <laughs> Thunder, 1985? Thunder, yes. Thunder, Thunder. <laughs> the demon sorcerer Mum-Ra is the self-proclaimed ever-living source of evil on Third Earth, mm-hmm. having powers of sorcery and an apparently unlimited lifespan. He is, in fact, a bound servant to the ancient spirits of evil, Ooh. represented by four anthropomorphic statues of a boar, crocodile, vulture, and ox. 
thus resembling oversized twisted mockeries of Egyptian canopic jars within the burial chamber of his pyramid. And uh, so he's a mummy? Yeah, he's, he's one of those mummies who, like most 80s cartoons, and the same with the cartoon Mummies Alive, if you ever have heard of that one. Uh-huh. The mummies start out as a regular mummy, but then they say the magic words or invoke their magic amulet or whatever and become super buff. Right. <laughs> Again, very uh, uh, professional wrestler style. Yeah, very right. He-Man style. Yeah. Although Prince Adam was buff even when he wasn't He-Man. That's true. <laughs> I'm such a little wimp with this massive Olympian god physique. <laughs> and in 1997, Mummies Alive, basically the story is there's a kid, he's the descendant of a pharaoh, there's an evil sorcerer, he wants some soul wants his wants the kid's soul and the mummies are to, there to protect him. Oh, okay. So he's got like a band so he's of got four mummies. Protective pre- mummies. Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of like a terminator turn of uh you know, the unexpected because you Terminator have... 2 style. Yeah. Yeah. But even when they're don't have their super awesome Egyptian armor on from saying their magic words with the strength of Ra. OK. They still are basically just they're not desiccated. They're just gray and muscled. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Ah. And there's a, even a mummified cat mascot in that uh, series. Even though we all know that the ibises are really where the mummification is at. It would be fantastic if that mummified cat was actually just dead. Like it just looked like a stuffed cat. (laughs) They're just carrying it around everywhere. Carry it around, put it down, pet it. Okay, we're going to go fight evil now. Or use it. Use it as like a club or something, like just to hit people with a dead cat. I mean, that, maybe that's where the turn of phrase came. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a mummy. I have heard that. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that. We'll be back when the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson in a closed carriage tied to an opponent who was hacking at his lower region with his teeth. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap, everyone. I think Mike just yelled at us again that we're recording. <laughs> what would you would be funny? It would be really funny if he was yelling at us that he's not recording. <laughs> no, don't start. Don't start. Stop starting. <laughs> Stop starting. We're not recording. <laughs>